love how being tough is synonymous with being stupid. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh, you're just not tough enough, but it's like, but actually you're just smart enough not yep. to do that. And it's so funny how we get you like that gets used against us so much in the horse world, but in reality it's just like, no, I'm just being smart. I know my yep. limits. Welcome to the Horsewoman Project, a podcast where we talk about all things horsewoman, from relationships to truck issues, taking care of your nutrition and fitness, and of course, horses. So it sounds like your session with Sandy was amazing yesterday. It was so good. It was one of those, I'm like, okay, this is why I like horses. <laughs> this is why I'm in this. <laughs> I'm not just going to sell them tomorrow. <laughs> uh, thank you for being my notebook. It was like, I was running down and around. And I'm like, I'm going to forget where her heartbeat was. Open my phone and it literally just opened to your text. I'm like, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> you can be my brain for <laughs> Yep, I sure can. <laughs> but no, it was really good. Um, saddling went much better. But what I did differently this week too was I actually just... Um, because whenever I get like the saddle pad out or the saddle, she always kind of like gets like, like a little pissy just seeing it. So I just completely ignored it and threw it on her. And she was like, wait, what? Like, you're not mm. gonna, cause normally I'll stop and then kind of do what we did with the Colts. Like I'll stop and let her look at it and let her explore mm-hmm. it for a second. And then I'll put it on. But I feel like that's just created issues because mm. now I feel like she's entitled. <laughs> yeah. I've created a tit- an entitled little bird head over there but um so I just threw it on and that actually helped quite a bit like I just didn't Mm -hmm. even I was like no like we're not playing this today we're just gonna put it on and she did um she did try to swing at one point and I just but I didn't even have my whip with me I just tapped her with my hand and that was enough for her to be like Mm -hmm. oh okay I'll stop and then I was a little nervous because I was just riding down the road um I was just mapping out one of the roads that we have so we have my house, there's like three directions you can go that lead to the freeway or the highway. Um, so there's a shorter road that I was hoping would be exactly five miles because I'm trying to do five mile rides each time I go out. It's not. It's like four. You're <laughs> like, dang it. <laughs> I know. But I'm like, you know what? It'll be fine because t- um, to ride to my grandma's house, it's like almost exactly seven miles last time I did it. So I'm like, well, if I do like two, four mile rides and then one seven, that'll pretty much make up and that, yeah. that'll be fine. Um, but anyways, she was just not barn sour at all. Like I thought for sure she'd fight me the entire way because Comanche's out there like, ah, come back. You know? <laughs> <laughs> she just like ignored him. Like she was like, okay. And head down. We did our warm up, so I do a five minute warm up with her where she and I jog together, and then I do like some lunges and just get my body ready to go. And then <clears throat> we turned onto the road, and I mounted her, and she was just like excited to go. It was really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought, like, again, I thought for sure I'd have to fight her. Like, I thought she would give me crap, but she yeah. just took off and was like, "Yeah, let's go." And then she was like. I'm going to lope and picked up the lope and held it for half a mile. I was like, oh, you're like, no way you can do this. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was pretty awesome. And then it was hilarious because 
So she held it for a half a mile till we get to a turn in the road. And then she slowed down, which that's one thing I appreciate about her. I feel like she's normally pretty body aware. Mm -hmm. And so she slows down to go around the corner and I just lean down to pet her at the same time. And right, right then the snow drift gets super, super tall. So it's taller than she is. Like she can't see over it and that scared her. So she jumps to the left just as I'm like leaning down to pet her. I about came off. It's like, I'm very thankful for my strength training today as my leg kept me in the saddle. <laughs> but it was really yeah. good. And I am actually really impressed with where her uh, fitness is. Because um, we trotted and loped like almost the whole thing um in my app I love this app guys I'll, I'll link to it it's um I'm gonna read it so I don't tell you the wrong name Equilab <laughs> um but I will link to that because it is amazing if you're doing trail rides or if you just want to like uh, map out your horse's fitness it tracks where you are like the GPS it'll track exactly where you are on the map which has like saved me from getting lost a couple of times, which is super nice. And then um, it'll also track the gate that your horse is in and how long that they're in it. So it is able to pick up like when they switch gates. Um, so I use it for that and it's, it's super nice. And it'll also track like their tempo. So like how many um, beats per minute they're going at each at each gate. So it's a pretty cool app and that's all in the just, I'm just using the free version right now. I think once I get a little bit more into the season, I might get the paid version because they have a safety tracking feature too, where you can have like emergency contacts that it'll share your location with in real time. And if you are like stable, so you don't move for a few minutes, like five minutes, I think it is, it'll send them an alert and say, hey, they haven't moved. Like, and you're able to pause it in the moment too. So it doesn't just like send it to them if you're taking a break. It would be funny. You stop and eat lunch and your spouse calls you. Are you okay? You're like, I'm just eating lunch. Yeah, like, <laughs> I'm in a white word. Yeah. But I really <laughs> like that idea, especially since I ride by myself quite a bit. Having just like somebody keep tabs on me is a good idea. So um, they have like a free week version I've been trying to get, but then I have to give them my payment information. and that requires all sorts of logging into other things. And I just, I'm like, I don't have the energy for this. <laughs> now that I'm officially in season, I, I will probably try it out and see if I like it. Cause I can't remember how much it is. It's enough that I'm like, I don't want to just be paying for it and not using it. So yeah, it's um, not just like a couple dollars. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think it's probably like 10 to, well, I think it's like closer to $20 a month or something for it which I mean isn't bad it just if I'm not actively using it and actively riding on trails and stuff I just probably not worth it yeah yeah it was really good so we got back um and (laughs) I bought a stethoscope finally I've been looking and looking and looking they are expensive oh my word like 80 bucks for a cheaper stethoscope on Amazon so I'm like I cannot pay 80 bucks for a stethoscope (laughs) but I finally found one at our local well semi-local um it's kind of like IFA for Idaho it's DNB is what it's called so they had a stethoscope there that was just like 10 bucks so I bought that and I've been practicing with it but oh it is not easy to hear the heartbeat Camry (laughs) it is like yeah like I didn't I would think that it would be pretty easy but no it is not and 
if she isn't like perfectly still, just her turning her head makes it very hard to hear because of all the hair. So the hair will go against it and it's like, and I'm like, and then the heartbeat's like, like, I mean, it's just so light. It's so hard to hear. Can you feel it under the jaw? Yeah, I can feel it. I'm just trying to get to listen to it because sometimes I don't feel like even feeling it because when she moves I lose it sometimes Mm. um whether I use her jaw or her leg because she just doesn't stand still so I was hoping the stethoscope would help me be a little bit more accurate and be quicker too because sometimes it takes me forever to find it too when I do it um when I do it with my hand but anyways it it was okay it just is gonna take me a minute and I think it'll be better once she loses her winter coat um, I think it'll probably be a little bit better because I can hear Comanches a lot better than hers and her, her hair is a lot coarser than his, like her winter hair is very coarse and gets curly in the winter and his stays pretty fine and is just thicker. Um, but anyways, she was by the time, so I just five minute cool down. Um, so I just got off of her and this is, so I got off of her, we loped and like did a really big extended trot and then I just topped off of her loosened up her um, girth and we walked about five minutes back to my house and then I tied her up took the saddle off and then pulsed her and she was already at 60 beats per minute so I was really happy about that um because she she has to pulse down to that before they start your like rest times and your breaks so it and I'm not sure in the 25 I need to read about it again so will you explain for people that don't know, because I had no idea about this, um, what, why you need to listen to the heartbeat and why that matters for endurance riders? Yeah, so with endurance, the reason I love it so much is it's so much about the horse and the condition of the horse. So when you go into vet checks, like a 25 miler, I believe they just do a vet check at the very end because it's such a short race and that's what I'll be doing. But like with a 50, they'll do one in the middle and I'm with a hundred. I think they do two to three before the end. Um, but you have to go into the vet checks and they have vets there that, um, flex your horses to see if they're lame at all. They check all of their different points. They check their hydration and, um, gut health. And then they also pulse them. So they check their heart rate levels. And when you're in these checkpoints, you are not allowed to leave the checkpoint unless your horse has been at 60 beats per minute for a half an hour. So once you get into the checkpoint, you have to wait until your horse is, is rated down to 60 beats per minute before they'll even start your time for you to leave. So if you're somebody who's competitive, coming in with your horse at 60 beats per minute is really nice because then you just have to be there for a half an hour if the vet check and everything goes well. If the vet check doesn't go well, then they just pull you. Um, you often get like just pulled out if you, like if your horse comes up lame or something. So that's one reason I really like or have gravitated towards this sport. So I'm really excited to actually do an official ride with them and, and really see how, how they're doing it. But that's why. So um, it just shows where your horse's condition is at. And it also helps you get better times and get your horse like moving out on the trail a lot more versus just sitting in the holding pen, you know, waiting for their heart rate to come down. So I think it's a good um, indication of like how well you've conditioned your horse. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, no, it was way fun. 
it was yeah it was just definitely one of those rides I was like oh, okay this is why I'm doing this <laughs> yeah this is I had I'm one of those on Freya last week took her down the road and she was by herself and her baby was whinnying for her and uh she was just happy as a clam to just go down the road and didn't uh didn't rush back didn't keep turning around anything like that she was just happy to get out and so was I it was great <laughs> well and you did it bareback with a halter right mm-hmm. yeah which that's huge because I know with you that's one of your goals this week or this year with her is to get her being more of a trail horse because yeah. she's so used to the arena so that's awesome yeah well and she's had she's been the horse that I've been on during the times that people have been assholes when they've driven past and luckily it has been her um because at one point a kid on a um I can't remember if it was a four-wheeler or a a razor sped up and veered closer to us and like and, and so Freya like spun in a circle and like ran 20 feet and then she was like okay I'm fine but I'm like I couldn't blame her for that because like she thought they were coming at us well they were (laughs) yeah and then um another time one of them like backfired because it was an older razor and so it like as it's coming past and she's like "Ah!" so me and her have both had like some experiences on that road where I'm like I don't know if I even want to go out on the road anymore because people like 90% of people are great but the few people that are not and are jerks and inconsiderate I'm like yeah I don't know and but she was just feeling really good and she really wanted to get out of the arena and you know with her being pregnant and then nursing and everything for all this time I'm like she really just needs to get out and and be away from the baby and everything and she loved it and it was great and I actually had gone out just to take her for a walk on the road just leading her and that's why she didn't have a saddle on and she I just had a halter and as we were walking, she was just feeling so good and so happy and so calm and like handling like a school bus coming past and all these things. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to hop on. <laughs> so we, I stood up on a, a gate and had her move up to me so I could hop on and away we went. So it's good. <laughs> That's awesome. I still can't believe people do that. Like, I mean, that just goes to show like the amount of forward thinking they do not have because they could literally kill somebody. Yeah, <laughs> literally kill somebody. <laughs> I just speaking of which. <laughs> oh no, who did we kill? <laughs> oh, no, that's like our topic is about oh. fear, like fear that somebody's gonna kill me on this road. <laughs> I guess that shows. Like, wait, are we talking about murder? I mean, okay. <laughs> guess we're going down that route today, Camry. <laughs> it's okay. I've been watching too many like true crime shows or documentaries lately I'm like I need to stop because it's starting to show up in my dreams <laughs> have you seen the documentary about um oh it's it's up by like Vernal what is it called there's a ranch up in Vernal and they're doing a bunch of like tests because it there's a lot of paranormal activity it is really <laughs> interesting to watch my husband's <laughs> like what are you watching I'm like this is so fascinating <laughs> he's like we can explain away all of this. I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> watch it. It's like, it's Skinwalker Ranch. That's what it's called. Okay. Skinwalker Ranch. You should look it up because it's hilarious. And granted, I mean, the people do like over-dramatize some of the things, but some of the things you're like, whoa, that's <laughs> creepy. Did you just see what was on my screen? <laughs> 
Oh, yeah, so interesting. Funny. Well, I'm just so, glancing through your notes. I mean, my business, like my writing business, Harnessing Confidence was specifically tailored around helping people with fear. Like that mm-hmm. was what I wanted is to help kids and adults who lost their confidence in horses and rebuild that. Like that was my whole business model. Mm-hmm. So it's something that I really, really love to do and really, really love to talk about. And I still get to talk about it with some of my horsewomen clients and I love it. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, let's, let's keep talking about all this stuff. Cause I just, this is definitely where I'm passionate about. And I definitely can see myself doing, you know, when we're a little bit more settled redoing this and, I think when I do it again, it'll be just like somebody in their own horse. Um, Like maybe I'll have a couple of just really solid horses. So if they're scared of their horse, we can kind of work through that while they also get their confidence on one of mine. But I do miss, I do miss that part of my job (laughs) where I'm like, I I miss seeing that and helping build confidence. I'm excited for this topic. Yeah, me too. And I mean, when I put on clinics, there's a lot of sessions that I do with people that are based off of them being scared. Like it's a, it's a pretty common thing because the fact of the matter is horses are horses. They're animals. They have instinct responses. They, they react to things. They, you know, they're unpredictable. It's not a car. It's not a, an ATV. Like it, they're going to, do unpredictable things and it's not if you're going to get hurt around horses it's when you know so people will have a bad experience whether they get bucked off or whether there's just some fluke experience and something that happens it's when you know something will happen eventually and and so we all at one point or multiple points in our horsemanship journey have to learn how to come back from fear uh, so I think it's relatable to every single horse person ever, <laughs> unless you're just an adrenaline junkie and you're like, yeah, <laughs> like you ride bulls or something. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe then you don't have so much fear, but. Well, even then I just had a conversation with one of my clients. I think it was last week where we talked about that. And I'm like, I feel like we all assume that there's no fear. So when we have fear come up or anxiety come up around horses, we bottle it in because it's like, well, Camry doesn't ever have fear. Like what's wrong with me? Why do I have fear? Why can't I just bounce off, like bounce back into this? But I'm like, you know what? We all have fear at one point. I I can know some of, like, I know some of the toughest cowboys who get scared, you know? And it's just, we don't talk about it. Because it's, it's like that sissy thing. But I'm like, I, and I explained this to her. I'm like, you know what? You need to look at your confidence level with horses like a roller coaster ride. You're going to have times where it's like, oh my gosh, I can hang upside down while my horse is galloping and it's not a big deal. You know, that's where I was at one point. And now I'm to a point where I'm like, no, I'm only going to ride my mare. I'm just not comfortable riding other horses right now. And I'm only going to ride her in these certain situations where I feel comfortable. And you know what? Eventually it'll come right back up too. But you have to ride those waves. Like I've been through so many waves. <laughs> where you know I can rule the world I can do anything on horses and I don't care what the consequences are and I've also been at the very bottom where it's like I question whether or not I even want to have horses anymore but it is a wave and I think just normalizing that and realizing like look it's normal because your body's trying to protect you if you didn't have those waves I would I would almost think something was wrong with you because like your body <laughs> wants to protect you <laughs> yeah and, and it does so by saying hey 
maybe we shouldn't ride that horse that's acting a little funky. Like maybe we should back off a second and maybe we shouldn't do that. It is completely normal. And I feel like it comes up at different points, especially in women's lives, because we definitely talk to horse women. But when our hormones change, things change. When we have kids, things change. When we have, when we get married, like by golly, when I got married, my confidence took a huge dive and it was so weird. And I wouldn't even say my confidence as much as just like, I was way more cautious, like 10 times more cautious than I ever was with horses before, you know, like since I got over my accident and and fear of horses when I was younger, when I got married, it was like, all of a sudden I, I was pulling back on a lot of the stupid stunts I did with some of my friends. And I was more like, yeah, I think I'll wear a helmet. Like, I I don't think it's worth not wearing one. And, (laughs) you know, it just, it really changed the outlook because all of a sudden, you know, if I died, here's this person who gets left alone you know, who would be destroyed if something happened to me. Right. And so that changed the way that I looked and looked at it. And for a while, I just thought, oh, there's something wrong with me. But at the same time, it's like, it's not wrong. Just because you care about your safety (laughs) doesn't mean you're wrong or that's, a you know, it's not a bad thing to care about your safety. It is okay to take those steps and make sure you're safe. And you shouldn't feel like you're weak or you're not brave enough. Like, being safe is important. And I feel like we need to normalize that. Yeah. Well, and it kind of leads into the kind of what I wanted to talk about first with this topic is there's different types of fear too. There's your legitimate fear of like an example would be if you your horse hangs back at the tie post and you hard tie your horse and you step under their head like that's that's a legitimate fear that that horse is going to hang back it is a habit it is something you have repeatedly seen and so you doing something that's putting yourself in danger like you should be scared to go underneath that horse's head that is a legitimate fear that you should be scared of doing that like <laughs> there there's fear that you need to listen to um and so you've probably heard and if you've listened to some of our other episodes of the fear you listen to and the fear you don't so this legitimate fear, that's the fear you listen to. And you're like, oh, yeah, I shouldn't do that. <laughs> you know, you see a horse rearing up or kicking and screaming or bucking and doing all these things. It's not like, oh, yeah, I'm, that, I don't need to be scared of that. I'm just going to hop right on. Like, no, you should you should listen to that. <laughs> so so there's that. Be cautious. <laughs> yeah. Like you should. That's that is legitimate fear. But then there's this fear of imagined fear you know this like well what if you know what if this happens and then what if a deer jumps out and then what if my horse spooks and what if it takes off running and then what if I come off and then what if it drags me and then what if we go over a cliff and then what if I die and then what's gonna happen to my husband and what's gonna happen to my kids they can't grow up without a mom and you just like have this spiral right where it goes from this to this to this to this to this Um, Meanwhile, your horse is just standing there looking at you like, are we doing this or? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And that's exactly it is there's, there's this imagined fear, right? And which can come from anything from like a, a past history, you know, like your accident that you had when you were young, um, or like with me where I got kicked in the head one time, like that was a legitimate, like trauma experience that is going to lead into some 
imagined fear of like, well, what if this happens again? Like, what if this, what if that? Um, and knowing how to kind of stop that in its tracks and not letting that just snowball into this huge um, fear that of something that's probably not even going to happen <laughs> um, is super important to be able to stop those thoughts in their tracks. So, yeah, well, and going along with that, like I said, I mean, I've ridden the roller coaster of being fearful and then having no fear. And one thing to really think about is, again, we're all going through the same roller coaster. And when you are at that bottom part of your wave where you are scared, you are having the intrusive thoughts, you are just kind of panicking yourself for no reason. Just remember, like you, you will get over it you will come up like the wave is going to come up at some point if you continue to work towards it if you decide at that point that it's just too much and you're done that's okay you know that that's valid it is okay to make that decision at that point but if you stick with it, it you will come back up to the top of that wave where you don't have as much fear and that is something i've really dug into a lot since since i was a kid <laughs> where I have been able to prove to myself that even if I do have anxieties and I do have fear and they creep back up time and time again, I know I'm not going to quit. Like I know I'm not going to give up horses. So I just look at it going, okay, what do I need to do right now to help support me so I can get back to where I want to be? And do I want to be back there too? Like for instance, the last year, I kind of hit the bottom part of my wave again, where I seriously just, I, I wasn't sure anymore about whether or not I even wanted to ride. All of a sudden, my, the horses I have, I trust, right? Like, I don't have horses that I don't trust. And even just with them, there was just so much pent-up anxiety for me. And I had, I have intrusive thoughts like crazy. I'm always thinking a million miles ahead, which makes it even harder. But even, like, my mare, who I trust completely, really, I was really scared to ride her for the longest time. And you know what? And I had to sit with that and I did have to kind of face that of like, okay, is it worth me putting in the miles and the steps to work through this? Cause like, I know I can, I've done it before. I know that I can get on top of this, but that doesn't mean it's not going to look different either. Like that doesn't mean I'm going to be back up at the very tippy top of my wave and be able to trick ride again. Who knows? I mean, maybe it will, but also it doesn't have to. Like different isn't bad. <laughs> just because it's different doesn't mean it's bad. So for me, just taking that step back and realizing, okay, I'm going to honor the way that I feel right now. And I'm just going to focus on my work with this one horse and focus on building up my confidence with this one horse. And that does mean that my Mustang doesn't get worked as much as I would like for him to get worked. But at the same time, when I'm in this state, I'm not going to be able to support him like I should be able to support him. Like if you're scared of your horse, you can't support your horse. Um, and that was actually, that's another conversation I've had with a few clients when their horses have acted out and they're just too much horse and they want to push through that fear and they feel bad because they're scared of their horse. But you know what? It's like, if you're scared of your horse, you can't do anything about it, right? Because you're not going to be able to work through your confidence, because you're scared of your horse <laughs> and you don't trust your horse. So you're going to be putting yourself in a fight or fight response every time you work with that horse. And you're not going to be able to give that horse the life that they deserve either because you're scared of it. And so I've had a quite a few tough conversations with clients about 
I, I think it's time to move on from this horse. Let's give this horse the best possible scenario to someone who's confident with them and who's not going to be scared. And let's give you a horse that can be a confidence builder where, you know, if the worst thing it does is shake really hard, you know, like that's kind of what you need. <laughs> and it's okay. It's okay to take that step back. Like, yeah. And I, I feel like we need to normalize that because in the horse world, I don't feel like we talk about it enough and it's not normalized. Like we, we hear a lot like, Oh, just get back on that horse. Like it's only because you didn't push through and it's not true. <laughs> it's not true. You are going to have to ride those waves and it takes a long time to work through them. Yeah, for sure. I feel like that's one of the first steps probably to gaining your confidence back is making sure you have the right horse. Um, because a horse that you don't have the physical and mental skills to handle is just going to make that fear. You're just going to practice fear every time you get on that horse. Right. And so, yeah, finding that right horse, whether that be, you know, if, if you do want to still keep your horse, you can maybe lease your horse out for a little while or even just pasture them or whatever. Um, while you go take lessons on a confidence building horse, build up your skills, build up your confidence and then transition back into taking lessons on that horse again. So, I mean, you don't necessarily have to sell it, but it's not all a bad thing if you do need to sell it either. You know, you need to, if you do want to get back up there, you do have to make sure you've got the right horse that will help you build that confidence back up. So. Yeah. Well, and I think too, it all depends on the level of your horse. If you've got a freshly broke colt, you know, or a freshly yeah. broke horse of any age, pasturing them is probably not the right answer, to be honest. Um, Because if you're going to pasture them, let them sit there, then by the time you feel like maybe you're ready, you're going to almost have to redo some of the training processes. So I think it too, like it depends on the level of the horse you've got um, yeah. as well. For sure. So what would you say, um, I kind of want to pick your brain a little bit more in this, just because that, like you said, this is what your business has been built around in the past. So what would be your first step to help someone that, that a client that would come to you and say, you know, I'm scared of horses and how would you go about helping them? What would be the first step? Yeah. So you're going to get a lot of my pet peeves are going to come out here in just a second. <laughs> so my first step is 100% build trust in me first, because if they do not trust me, I can't do anything with them. It doesn't matter how good my horses are. They're not going, like, if they don't trust me to pair them with the correct horse for them, for their level, and they don't trust what I'm telling them in stressful situations, I can't help them. So the very first step is always 100% to build trust in my, like in me. So your trust in me, if you're coming to me, Camry, what bugs the crap out of me <laughs> is those people who know that a client is scared of horses and they're coming for confidence and they just throw them on a horse without taking the time to really make sure is that horse the right fit and then the horse does something stupid, the client falls off or the horse bucks or, or whatever, because, oh, sorry, I get upset about this, but like, <laughs> but not only in that situation, did you just validate that person's fear of horses because the horse just bucked them off. But then you also just told them that they can't trust professionals in the industry too, because you broke 100% of trust that they had in you 
as well. And I've, I've had a lot of people come to me and I'm, you know, their fourth or fifth instructor. And it's just, the instructors have not listened or they've paired them with bad horses and cause they're just trying to run them through a program. So 100% when they come to me, it's no, like I, I let them know ahead of time. I am never going to make you do something that you legitimately do not want to do. Like, yes, I will push you, but I'm not going to make you do something like we can always find a way around it. So if somebody's coming to me and they are super scared of horse or of horses, whether they're an adult or a kid, we always start very slow, right? Because they need to get to know me a little bit. They need to get to know the horse. They need to like learn to trust what I'm saying and know that what I say is truthful. Cause if I just say, Oh, I, you know, it's fine. Like you can trust me. I'm not going to push you. And then I'm like, okay, get on the horse. Like, you know, that breaks trust in me. So that's going to be my first step. Um, I will say I've had a few kids come to me who are very scared of horses and their parents get really upset sometimes with the first couple of lessons because we don't get on like that is not my focus. And we've had to have those conversations of, look, you are here to help build your kids confidence. And if you don't take your ego and kick it out the door and let me do my job, your kid's never going to be confident with what they're doing and normally normally I can get people on horses pretty quickly but again I do my homework like I don't pair them with any horses that I think would do anything (laughs) you know and I make sure that they spend the time with that horse too so they feel comfortable with the horse and they feel comfortable with me and we just break that that ice down as well and and build the trust because they need to have more trust in me than they do the horse that's more about what it's what it's about when they come in Yeah. Well, and it made me think (laughs) when you're talking about these people that just throw people up on a horse, it reminds me of the concept that a lot of people say, which is if you get bucked off, you have to get right back on, you know, like get your swing, your leg back over that horse. You can't end a session like this and, and that you just have to get back on and that that's going to make you more confident because you, you got back on, you know, and I'm like, well, yeah, but if you get back on and that horse was just bucking and it does it again, Again, you're practicing that fear. You're not practicing being confident. You're practicing being like, this horse is not trustworthy. And why did I get on? And I hate horses. And like, and so it just turns into that. And so, yeah, I hate that advice of just get back on. If you get thrown off, get back on. I'm like, no, not necessarily. You need to figure out why you came off in the first place. (laughs) Well, yeah. And then it's, you know, too, like you said, if the horse is bucking, you throw the kid back on. Well, what are you teaching the horse too? You know, the horse hasn't been able to go through the work. So like just from a team aspect, it just does not help the team move forward. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm with you. I just, that is like my least favorite thing to hear, you know, or when I see parents, you know, the kid gets off the horse and is crying and they grab the kid and throw it back on the horse. Like, mm-hmm. like don't do that, please. Because especially as a kid, they need to know that they're safe first. And when you grab your kid and you throw them right back on the horse without even checking in with them mentally, emotionally, or physically, you just broke a line of trust in yourself that your kid had in you. Because now it's like, well, if I go to dad or if I go to mom, they're just going to put me right back in this dangerous situation. So like, why would I go? Right. Yeah. So I think taking a step back and realizing that like, 
just because somebody needs to come off the horse and cry for a minute does not mean that they'll never get back on. You just need to do the methodical work of working through them and learn body language. Yeah. That is really, really important. Um, because most people do not come out and say, oh, like, I don't know. I don't know. Like I, I do have, or I have had a few that will be more upfront with me and be like, oh, I don't know about this horse. And then we can kind of talk through things, but I have also had a lot of people who are not going to say, oh my gosh, like, <laughs> I don't know about this, but by golly, their body language tells me that, right? But if I did not learn how to read body language very well and expressions and, and different things, it would be hard for me as a coach to pick up on that and to be like, and question it and be like, hey, how are you feeling? You know, and, and push them into talking to me about it. Because talking and processing is really a powerful tool to getting over some of the confidence issues as well. But yeah, don't just throw people who are scared back on the horse, <laughs> give them yeah. time to process it and then coach them through the situation. So it's like some of my clients, yeah, when they went to another coach and that coach, like the first lesson through, throw them on a horse, that horse bucks them off. So yes, there's a lot of trust that's broken there, but there's a lot of trust that you can rebuild in that same session if you take the time to rebuild it as well. So for me, like there was one situation with a kid of mine that I will share. So he had come to me, his confidence was pretty darn low with horses, but we started at the baseline. We did all of the just mini steps started with really like my, my solid, solid, solid um, beginner horses. And then slowly built up till finally I knew that his confidence was in a better place and that his skills were in a better place. He was ready for another horse. So I tried this other horse out um, and he was doing pretty well, but then there was something, I, I think like maybe some rocks fell down the hill that was right by the arena or, or something happened. Like kids kicked rocks down, something spooked the horse and the horse took off. And in that moment, what makes me a little bit different is that kid has learned how to talk or like how to listen to me. So even in a in a moment where he doesn't really have control of the horse, I can still coach him with or through control of, have, of his own body. So even in that moment, just me talking calmly and saying, okay, just breathe, relax. Now grab your reins. Now pull his reins, you know, pull your reins to your hip, get around, just breathe for a second. And then once he gets the horse stopped, like you bet your bottom dollar, I'm, I'm like, okay, let's dismount really quick. Let's process. Because if I left him on that horse, he's going to be all tense. The horse is going to be tense, right? Like the whole thing is just not going to work. But by pulling him off the horse saying, okay, let's talk this through. How are you feeling? You know, he's like, oh my gosh, that was the scariest thing that ever happened to me. Right. And just being able to talk it through was helpful. And then being like, okay, well, how are you feeling? at this point. And he's like, I honestly don't want to get back on. It's like, okay, not a big deal. Let's do some groundwork. Let's work through, you know, getting your body just in a better place, going back to baseline. And then honestly, we switched horses on him and that's, it's okay. Like it's not, he still rode, right? Like he still stayed in my program. He still learned the skills on another horse. It just, that horse wasn't the best fit, but you know what? Also, because that horse did that later on, be, and we did the the baseline work right afterwards too. And we talked it through and we built it through. And I pointed out the really good things that he did. Like he stayed fairly relaxed. He, what, he didn't fall off. Like he, you know, he did all of these things that actually really helped to build his confidence with some of the other horses we did try. So it's like, we went down a level in horse 
but you know we didn't go all the way back to the beginning we just went down one level so then he felt a little bit more confident and we worked from there right but his confidence wasn't destroyed his trust in me wasn't destroyed it just it was a situation that happened and we were able to process it very very well yeah and i feel like i've had some clients have similar experiences on their horses um because i coach mostly people on their own horses and um their horse would run off with them you know and then they tend to get in this headspace of oh my horse could have done this my horse could have done this but really when I start questioning them and saying, well, but what actually happened? Did you fall off? No. Did you get hurt? Are you hurt anywhere? You know, no, I'm not hurt anywhere. And just talking through it and then realizing that they they need to stay out of that could have space, right? And they need to realize, okay, the horse ran. Why did it run? How can we handle it better next time? What kind of skills can we teach the horse to be able to handle a situation like that without feeling the need to bolt or run around the arena? Um, how can I improve my skills to better communicate with my horse what I want them to do in this situation? And so it's it's a, this big questioning process of, of staying, again, out of that could have headspace because nothing did actually happen. But we build it up so much in our mind that we create this imagined experience that never actually happened <laughs> and then we're scared of what could have happened instead of realizing that hey we're safe we're good nothing bad actually happened and going from there so yeah well and again that's what your body and your brain is supposed to do yep <laughs> your, your body and brain are doing its job <laughs> like their job <laughs> and sometimes I feel like when that happens we we think that we're broken or that it's not normal and no, it's 100% normal. If your body and your brain didn't do that, I'd be kind of almost worried about you because, because that's its job. It's supposed to look for things that are going to cause you to die because your body and your brain want to stay alive. And yeah. so by telling you and going through those scenarios, like by your brain doing that, it's saying, Hey, I'm not sure it's worth it. Right. Because yeah, yeah like, yes, the horse did just run off with me, but yes, it, it could have also slipped and fell and rolled over on top of me. It could have jumped the fence and we could have like ended up in the road or it could, you know, it does that because it's, it's trying to show you the list of reasons why it's unsafe and why maybe you should not do this again, because it wants to keep you safe. It's yeah. completely normal for your body and your brain to do that. Um, and like Camry said, being able to come back to the present and really logically think about what did happen, what really happened, and process that as well can help calm your brain down and, and get you back into, okay, you're right, I'm okay. That doesn't mean your brain's not going to go back, you know, and be like, but remember, it could jump the fence and go into the highway. It, it could do that. And you're going to have to be like, yeah, but it didn't. Let's, let's talk about how it happened and what can I do next. Um, and another tool too is also you as the coach take control of the situation. So for instance, that kid who the horse took off with, yeah, we had to spend probably the next two or three lessons with him on a lunge line. And that's okay because when I have control, because again, he still has trust in me, so I can have control of the horse, but it gives me 100% control where that kid, I can then coach them through the emotions that are coming up when I've got control of the situation. So for instance, we talk a lot about in our training, like building up intensity and, and then relaxing intensity with our horses. 
doing the same thing with yourself or, or a student that you're working with is really a powerful tool as well as, you know, I have them on the lunge line and we start off really nice and we practice the relaxation cues that I teach them at the very beginning you know, breathing in, thinking about different things, noticing where their body is, reconnecting with the horse. And then we build it up, you know, whether that means we just go up to a trot and then, you know, they get tense and they want to grab the horn and, you know, do the riding fetal position. And I coach them through that. Okay. Deep breath out, relax your arms, you know, but by me talking them through with a very calm voice, it really helps their whole body go, Oh, she's calm. So I must be fine. And when you have situations like that, where a horse takes off and me as the coach is like, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, you know, but if I were to say that, what it's happening, it would not help the situation. So for me, when it happens, I'm like, okay, not a big deal. You're doing fine. Remember to breathe through now, relax your body. Okay. Grab your reins. Like, I mean, yeah. I, th- so then what happens literally a hundred percent of the time is the kid is able to relax a lot quicker and actually be able to get control of the horse. And because I kept my cool outwardly, you know, like it doesn't mean inwardly. I wasn't like, Oh, okay. Well, we'll see how this turns out. Right. But for the most part, because of the work I've done from the very beginning, I'm able to coach their body through it really quickly because they are used to listening to my voice. They're used to me being calm. But if I came out and was like, oh crap, you're gonna die. You know, it's like, okay, well, he's going to come off here pretty quick. Right. Because then there's just, there's no point that's going to bring him back to baseline if the coach freaks out as well. So. Yeah. And it's, you have to take the correct steps. You know, you can't just go from terrified to, swing a leg over and not take the steps to practice all the skills that you need to have to handle the situation. So, you know, you have to take baby steps, right? You build this much confidence and then you can build a little bit more confidence and then a little bit more and a little bit more. But I mean, if he, if your student hadn't practiced those relaxation techniques, right. And being able to, you know, take breaths and um, cause breathing exercises are one of the best things for, helping you control your heart rate and control your mental state. Um, And so, but if he hadn't practiced those things in a safe space, when he didn't need the skills, when he was lunging the horse and when he knew he was fully safe, he's never going to be able to use those relaxation skills when the horse takes off bolting. And he's like, I've never practiced how to relax, but now I have to do it in like the hardest situation to ever have to do it in. And it, the, it's not going to work. You have to practice the skills that you need for your particular horse, your particular situation. You have to practice them before you need them. So you need to practice emergency dismounting when you don't have to emergency dismount, (laughs) you know, like you, you, you practice it when your horse is at a standstill, then you get to where you can do it at a walk. Then you get to where you can do it at a trot and you get to where you can do it at a lope. And then if your horse takes off galloping across somewhere that's unsafe, or is about to gallop off a cliff or who knows, you know, whatever you can imagine in your brain of some scary situation, then you're like, oh, I know how to emergency dismount. And you're able to handle it in a tense situation a lot better. But you have to build that up. You can't just, oh, this is what I'll do in this situation and never practice it. 
you have to practice. You have to put the time in. So, well, 100% because when you practice, you're going to build that muscle memory because in those situations, muscle memory kicks in. Your brain is not going to be thinking very logically unless you've been able to train it, just like you said. Um, Because it's like if you are running off, (laughs) I'll tell you a situation I had once. So, after my first shoulder surgery, I'm a stupid head, right? I finally got out of my sling and I'm like, well, I'm just going to go for a nice trail ride bareback on my Arabian. Like seriously, just got out of the sling, Camry. <laughs> and so I'm up in the hills by myself, riding my little Arabian, who is not, you know, he's an Arabian. So he's dancing around. He's excited because he hasn't been ridden in like six weeks because that's how long I've been in the sling. And we're up in the hills and he takes off. And normally it's like, yeah, I could probably sit this. But at the same time, I did not have, because I've been in the sling, did not have the control that I needed to to really get him to calm back down and turn him around and of course I had him in a halter I mean duh like I'm just being really smart about this whole situation so (laughs) he goes to go down this hill and it's a pretty steep hill and I'm looking at that going oh my gosh I'm not gonna be able to sit that so yeah I looked around I'm like well I think it's going to be best to hop off right now. And I just, you know, dove off, protected my shoulder, like tried to make sure I landed on my okay-ish shoulder and not my newly repaired shoulder. And yeah, face planted it, but it definitely was a lot safer than me, like face planting it down this hill as he's running down. Um, But because I had practiced that before in so many different situations, I was able to think that through in that moment of going, okay, where's the best place for me to be and for me to come off? Like I was able to take that split second to look around and go, okay, well, I definitely don't want to come off to, to the right because there's a big rock here. There's like bigger rocks that could really do some damage, but over on the left, there's just some bushes. So I guess being scratched versus being banged up by a rock might be a little bit of a better decision. And I was able to do that all within a split second. Like that all happened very, very quickly. So just like you said, if you practice every scenario and you continue to do that then when it does come down to it you're going to be a lot more willing to do it as well because jumping off of a galloping horse is not fun it is not something that your brain or your body want to do in that moment (laughs) like it is really I mean that just doesn't sound like you want to go do that today Michaela come on (laughs) I know like it is it is not yeah it is not something that your brain or body I feel like makes or sets up as an option when it's actually happening if you haven't practiced it before <laughs> well it, it really it's doesn't. funny I don't know if it's like this for you but when I've told my students in the past that I'm like okay now we're gonna do it at a trot they're like you want me to what now like <laughs> you want me to get off a moving horse <laughs> I'm like yep I do <laughs> nope 100 you, you need to have some of those skills to be able to feel like you are prepared in a crisis situation Um, And a lot of quote unquote crisis situations you can prevent with preparing your horse with lots of different skills, preparing yourself with lots of different skills, but there's still every once in a great while going to be a fluke situation. Most of them are preventable, but not a hundred percent of them. So you need to be able to be prepared to handle that very slim chance that something wonky could happen. So Yeah, 100%. I mean, it's like we were talking earlier, Sandy spooking at the stupid snowdrift, you know, (laughs) like 100%. I didn't even consider that to be an option that she would do. 
And if I hadn't prepared my body with the strength that it has and the balance that it has, I would have 100% come off in the middle of the muddy road, you know, and had to walk <laughs> home and, and not tell my husband what happened when he looked at me like, <laughs> like I'm dumb, you know, but, but even with my mare, I find her to be very, very chill to ride, which is why I focus on riding her when my confidence is low, because I trust how she reacts. She normally does not react big. And, you know, yesterday it wasn't all that big either, but it was big enough. It really could have unseated me. And I definitely had to use a lot of my muscles to keep myself in that saddle. It just, it happens. Horses are horses. There's going to be things that you just don't even think about. It's like with my mare, I never once did it cross my mind like, oh yeah, you've never seen a snow drift taller than you before. And going around a corner where you can't see around it has never really happened to you. So yeah, maybe it would be a little weird. (laughs) Yeah. Like it just never crossed my mind. Well, and one thing I've done recently, which was a lot of fun is I had this, uh, this mare in training and she's a four-year-old mare and, uh, she was just so much fun, but she, you could, I could carry a tarp on her and, and be flailing it around. I could drag things with her. I could, I mean, she didn't really spook over much when it was up close and next to her. But if there was something across the arena that like one time it was a horse that lifted their bucket up and dropped it. So it made this big, like, you know, and, and it made her bolt. And she took off running. And I was like, of all the things, like what in the world? And then come to find out the more I worked with her, I realized that it was just surprise. It was when something like she was just going along, not expecting something. And all of a sudden, bang, there was a big noise. Kind of like if someone dropped a plate on your kitchen tiles and it, you know, like it just surprises you and it makes you startle, right? And so I'm like, okay, we need to condition a muscle memory response to surprise to something sudden and so (laughs) I started on the ground with her just to make sure I could you know show her what to do and like say you know bring your head in here and slow like come down to a a slow come down in gait so come down from your trot down into your walk down into a stop um and then you know lick and chew and calm down and so I was able to coach her through what to do but I started just doing random things so I would be lunging her and then I would just like you know and and jump and do some weird thing and I would make like horse farting noises and I would make duck noises and I would make chicken noises and turkey noises and just randomly out of nowhere just surprise her and it actually worked really really well because then I couldn't do anything to surprise her anymore I would try and surprise her and then I would start doing it after I did it on the ground I would do it while I was riding her and I would just like randomly and throw my arms out or like squeeze my legs or do something really weird and she got to the point where she would, I would do things like that. And she would just look up at me and be like, yeah, that's not scary. <laughs> like, like she was, I couldn't surprise her anymore. It was rare that I could find something that I could do that would surprise her. And then even the times, the f- couple of times that she did get surprised by something, she went out in a wide circle, slowed down, came to a slow stop. And I was like, yes, we have fully created that muscle memory that in that split second instinct moment she can rely on that muscle memory because we've practiced it often enough and conditioned her enough that it just that's her response whether she thinks about it or not you know when it's just that instinct so um that was something kind of fun to to play with with that (laughs) 
Yeah, I love that. So when you were doing that with her, were you lunging her at first? Mm -hmm. Okay. I mean, that's what it sounded like, but I just wanted to to clarify there. Um, Yeah, I kind of started in the middle and then was like, oh, I should probably explain that a little better. But yeah, I started just with on a lunge line so that I had connection, physical connection with her head to be able to show her, you know, where I wanted her to come and what I wanted her to do. Um, And then I started doing it just free lunging. Um, So I took the lead line off and just had her in the round pen um, and without a line on. And, and then we graduated to doing it under saddle. So, cause yeah. I tell you what, when she bolted, even me being a cult starter and having ridden a lot of cults that have done a lot of silly things, it still makes my adrenaline response kick up. Like, and it's funny cause my assistant, when she was there, the one time that she bolted and, and she's like, you okay? I'm like, Oh yeah, like I got tense for a half a second, just that adrenaline response. But I'm like, no, I don't have any fear about it. It was just a that split second that your body does get in that self-preservation mode. That is normal for your body to do that. And as long as you can coach yourself back from it and see it for what it is, it doesn't have to be a trauma experience every time. Um, as long as you coach yourself through it, so. Yeah. And it it takes a lot of practice though. You make it sound so easy, (laughs) but guys, it takes a lot of practice to get to that point and a lot of stupidity too, because I've seen some videos that Camry (laughs) flying over upside down over, over fences, you know? (laughs) Well, there's that. (laughs) We might go into how I uh, went through coaching myself and having my husband coach me through my fear of first rides because yeah it takes a lot a lot a lot of repetition practice 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 so well and two like Camry and me to an extent are at different levels as well where with Camry you need to be able to have a horse buck you off and not be completely terrified afterwards or a horse kick you in the head and be like oh yeah it's fine (laughs) okay that was not fine you make it sound like I'm like oh it's not a big deal (laughs) well you kind of did in my head because I'm like I'm over here as your assistant being like oh like I can't believe that even happened that never once in my head even crossed that that could happen yeah the one that did happen to you it fed into my anxiety and like I see you after a little while and you're just like yeah not a big deal just don't tie them like Okay. <laughs> you're like you're not scared you're gonna get kicked in the head again. <laughs> I know. Well, because you know, of course, like I said, I I struggle sometimes with when my anxiety gets going with the intrusive thoughts of like this could happen, this could happen. So with your scenario, I mean, I had my own intrusive thoughts about what could happen to you, right? And so I'm like, <laughs> Camry almost died, and you're just like, I'm fine. It's not a big deal. Could have been worse. <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> so for people who didn't know the story um quick recap I a horse was tied I was picking up a front foot the hind foot came up kicked me in the forehead which knocked me to the ground the horse hung back and stomped all over my knees and everything all my legs and I was luckily able to maintain consciousness roll out of the way um and then call my father-in-law who was across the way and he took me to the hospital no major damage all bumps bruises um got all the x-rays and ct scans of my head and all of that so but yeah it's i mean experiences like that it takes time to come back from them because after that if i was picking out a horse's feet i never tied them after that because it just is like nope because on the off chance that something could make a horse hang back when they're 
when I'm right there, I don't want to be there. <laughs> so I just never tie them. Um, but anytime a horse would like flinch or like a fly would land on them and they'd shake, you know, and do things like that, it would make me jump and I'd be like, <laughs> um, and I don't do that anymore, but I had to just give myself some grace with that because it's a normal response for my body to say, this happened the last time a horse did something sudden when you were picking up their foot. So that was a normal response, but I couldn't control my split second reaction to that. Right. So my split second reaction to a horse shaking when I was picking up their foot made me go <gasps> again, that response of like, Oh, what's going to happen. But then when I looked at the horse and saw that all they did was shake a fly off, I was able to take my shoulders and <sighs> lower them about three inches and like take a breath and be like, Oh, okay. It wasn't a horse hanging back and trying to kick me. It was just a horse shaking a fly off. And so then I'm able to coach myself through it that way. But again, it took a lot of times of, I work with multiple horses a day, picking up, I pick up out their feet every single day. So I got to practice that skill lots and lots of times immediately after to be able to coach myself through that to where now when I pick out a horse's foot, I'm like, it's not a big deal. I just make sure I'm in the right position, make sure they're not tied because I do work with colts. So yeah, I, I use the knowledge to make sure that they're not going to do something like that again and hang back. If they did do anything, they would just get free. Uh, which I'm like, I'd rather have a loose horse than one that's on top of me. So, <laughs> so yeah, use it to to gain more knowledge of how to keep yourself safer, but don't live in that fear. Don't live in the like, a horse could kick me, a horse could kick me. Because if I felt that fear every single time I picked out a horse's hoof, I wouldn't still be riding horses. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> or my horse's feet would just not be picked out. <laughs> um, <laughs> They'd be very stinky. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. They would have thrush and all the, all the bad things. But I did use that knowledge to change my process around how I work with horses' feet. So you use that future fear, right, of what could happen to help you plan ahead. But still, you still have to be in the moment and not be in that what could happen state. You've you've done what you need to do to prepare for it. And then you can feel more comfortable being in the moment because you now you know you don't have to worry about that. So, Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it... Like I said, it takes a lot of reps because I feel like for you, I mean, that's a pretty big deal to most people. If I got kicked in the head <laughs> at this point, I don't know about that camera, you know, but <laughs> also just like looking at your history and the amount of injuries you've had, the amount of huge accidents you've had that you've been able to work through, I think speaks to how you were able to work through that particular scenario because you'd worked through huge, like breaking your ribs and like being being knocked into panels and like all of these like bigger, crazier things that you were able to work with, with other people and to really cope through throughout the years, I think really helped you be able to cope with this situation where you were able to come at it logically, where you were able to say, okay, well, you just won't tie. We're going to like set this up this way. And yeah, it's fine. You know, for me, I'm like, I've never been kicked in the head before, <laughs> you know? And, and it's like, yeah, I've had some bad accidents, but I don't know. Like they've, they've definitely been different where I haven't been like really bad accident and then coming back and going, okay, I'm getting, you know, get on that same horse, you know, in two days. I just, I haven't had to put myself in that kind of a situation. And so I feel like for me in that situation, it would actually take me a heck of a lot longer to get over that. I would because I am who I am, but <laughs> it would take a lot longer than just like a day <laughs> to, to really like logically think that through. So yeah. If anyone well, I've had like nine, 
Yeah. I've had nine years of working for myself as a cult starter and running my own business to have, like you said, lots and lots of reps. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I have practiced coming out of fearful situations with horses a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's, I was able to come out of that one a lot quicker than I have in the past. It took me a long time to come back from my fear of first rides. And it's still, that's probably my biggest fear with horses is first rides. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's what I've had to coach myself through a lot because I get horses for, in the beginning, it was 30 to 45 days. And now I have a 60 day minimum. And well, I did this past year and now I've got a six month minimum, but with 60 days, I'm going through multiple horses every two months, you know, five to seven horses every two months, I'm rotating out, getting new horses. So I have to practice that all the time. And, uh, it has not been easy. <laughs> a couple of times I'm like, I don't know if I want to keep cold starting, mm-hmm. well, <laughs> but I, I do. So I'll work through it. Cause I know I will, but ah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I want to actually talk to you about that because like I said, with cult starting and especially with you as a mom with with kids like little kids not even just kids who can take care of themselves you've got little kids that rely on you and you are getting you know kicked in the head and stomped on you're getting you know bucked off and thrown over fences like all of these big things that I feel like a lot of people would be like yeah I think I'm going to take a step back and focus on safe horses and and a different thing but what? I guess, what's the difference with you? Why do you keep going and putting yourself in these kinds of situations? Like what makes it worth it? Um, Initially, I think when I started cult starting, I didn't have kids yet. Um, And then I just didn't have as many fearful experiences with horses to feel scared about them. Like it was like, you just get on and ride them. You know, like, I, so I was a little bit, I don't know if naive would be the right word. Um, at the time where I just hadn't had the the experiences to create a little bit more of that fear or anxiety in me. Um, but then the more I had accidents and things, and <laughs> I feel like you make it sound way worse than it is, Michaela. <laughs> no, no, like, no, 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 no. I've seen the videos. <laughs> um, but it's it just made me want to make my process better. So the more I did it, the more it just drove me to be like, okay, so why did that horse do that? And how can I get it so that it won't do that again? And what's, what step did I miss that made that horse feel like they needed to respond this way in that, in that uh, situation? And so over the years, I've just been able to refine my process more and more and more and more to where now my process of cold starting is I do so much thorough groundwork to the point where my horse knows how to ground drive they know how to do like this cowboy turn which is where you take the the lead rope and wrap it around the outside of your horse and they have to unwind themselves so you know if they get caught up in a rope and they know how to feel it around their their haunches and their flanks and back above their hocks and sometimes the rope even gets under their tail Um, and so I get them to where they can problem solve I get them to where they can go over things through things under things they can carry things um they can feel weight on their back at a standstill and in motion before I swing a leg all the way over. Um, I, I, I cover it all. And over the years, covering it all has expanded to where I used to just make sure I could sit on a horse from the fence at a standstill and that that was good enough. And if they could handle my weight like that, then I would get on and, and go for a ride. And 
Now, the one horse that flipped me and like folded me over the fence, that horse was actually a perfect example of that because I could get him to side up to me and I could sit on his back from the fence and he could see me through both eyes and all of those things, but I never got him to feel my weight with motion. So what I'll do to get a horse to do that is I will mount from one side and kind of like sit my upper body on the saddle, but I'll keep both of my legs off to the one side. So I try and balance my weight and center it as best I can. So I'm not like hanging off the side of the saddle and going to make the saddle turn. Um, So I kind of center my weight like that, but um, I will do that. And then I will bend the horse around and cluck to them and get them to disengage and follow their nose um, around in a little circle. And if they can do that on both sides, then I'm closer to getting on. Um, But without doing that, that horse that I had sat on the fence with and he did it at a standstill, I got on him and went for a ride. And as soon as he started moving, panic ensued. He bolted and then slammed into the fence and it completely threw my entire body over the fence. And I like folded in half over the fence. And But that just goes to show that at that point in time, my process, which I thought was pretty thorough, I'm like, oh yeah, he can handle my weight. That's what he needs before I can go off and go moving with him but now being able to do that off of the side of the horse that means if that horse feels my weight when he moves and it rocks and pulls on the cinches and it and it's they touch him in different ways then I'm able to have an easy out right and I'm able to stay safe and get off the horse and if they panic about it then we just repeat that until they don't panic anymore and we teach them how to calm down from that. So it's my process has just gotten gotten more refined over the years of what that horse has to know on the ground before I will swing a leg over. And worst case scenarios, um, I've had some iffy horses in the past that even with everything that I have done on the ground, they're still, they don't handle um, sudden things or like, they, they don't know how to calm down from being escalated as well. And then, especially with time frames of being a cult starter, like one horse I was, this one I'm thinking about right now, I was prepping for a sale. So I had to have him ready to go by this date because that's when the sale was. And it was like 30 something days and I still hadn't gotten on this horse because he was still not responding quite the way I wanted him to. So what I ended up doing was borrowing a friend of mine's dummy that he made out of like foam and then he dressed it in clothes and had pool noodles for the arms and legs and like he even glued eyeballs in this thing and put a wig on it like it looked like a human um, and then he had strings to it so I just tied that to my saddle and worst case scenario that's what I have done um, and like you can even use a teddy bear from Walmart like you know those big ginormous ones that are like I don't know 40 bucks or whatever at Walmart get one of those they're a little floppier not as stiff as like a dummy would be um, but to be honest, for me, with those iffy horses, there have been two situations ever that I was so grateful I used the dummy because I think I might have died on the horse. Um, one horse, we put the dummy on, thinking he was ready for it, you know, like it was the next logical step. And this horse wore the dummy for four hours and could not calm down about it. Like he was in the round pen, just like every time he would change directions and see this dummy on his back, he would just take off running again. And then he would change directions and take off running for like four hours to the point where I'm like, he's got to calm down about this at some point, And then we can take the dummy off. Right. But he, you can't take it off when he's just bolting. We couldn't even catch him. And so we ended up having to 
have my husband saddle his horse, Lola, and go in there and um, ride alongside next to the horse and like undo the dummy as the horse was still like running around while Lola's running around next to him. And like, it was a mess, but I'm like, if I would have gotten on that horse, that it would not have gone well, you know? And so it's, it's situations like that. And I only ever had that, like it happened another time with one other horse with a dummy where wore it for hours and couldn't couldn't solve it couldn't solve the, the the equation and I do think in some situations like that that there is maybe something in the horse's brain or in their body whether it be pain or whether there's like a a, a brain disorder you know a, a learning disorder or something along those lines I do think you occasionally will run into horses with things like that um, but yeah it's my caution has actually saved my life in that way because I was able to say, you know what, despite my best efforts of going through my entire groundwork program, this horse is still not good enough for me to feel comfortable getting on. So having things like that, like a dummy or, you know, being able to put a tarp up on the saddle or put um, a stuffed animal up there has really saved me as a cult starter from getting on some of these horses that could have really, really hurt me. So caution is not all a bad thing it's good to listen to yourself and and when things are not going according to plan just be like well maybe I need another professional to help me maybe I need another tool to help solve this maybe you know something needs to change um and not just like for me not letting that ego get in the way of like but my client's paying for me for this and I need to swing my leg over you know I need to get on this horse that ego is really strong especially as a professional cult starter that can't be a wuss people think I'm a cold starter I'm supposed to be tough you know <laughs> like I can't be a pansy come on get on the horse um but I have gotten to the point where there have been a select few horses that I will send home uh, because it's not worth my life it's not worth my livelihood it's not worth my kids growing up without a mom it's not worth any of that and I can't work if I break my leg you know I that's that's a lot of money that I'm out. So it's one horse is not worth it to me anymore. If I get those horses that are like that. So don't you love how being tough is synonymous with being stupid? <laughs> it really is. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like, Oh my gosh, you're just not tough enough. But it's like, but actually you're just smart enough not yep. to do that. And it's so funny how we get you like that gets used against us so much in the horse world. But in reality, it's just like, no, I'm just being smart. I know my yep. limits. Like I'm not so not going to do it. Funny, quick little story. Me and my assistant were walking a couple colts down the road the other day. And I won't ride colts down my road anymore. I will lead them down the road, but I don't ride colts down the road anymore just because I don't have the predictability of knowing when there's going to be some stupid kid that comes down the road. <laughs> I will ride my broke horses down the road that are, that I know are solid and can handle all of that. But um, there's barbed wire fences and T posts and like, it's a super narrow road. And at one point there's a canal and there's just not safe places for me to be able to coach a colt through those things. So anyway, we were leading them down the road, but both of these colts are big colts. Like they are, one of them's three, one of them's four. And big, big horses. And <laughs> one of my neighbors, this old, old cowboy, he's so cute, but he, he's driving by in his car and he stops his car and looks at us and he goes, well, why aren't you girls riding those horses? 
And I, and I looked at him and I just said, oh, I know they look big, but they're just babies. We're getting them used to it. One day they'll be out here with a saddle <laughs> and a rider. He's like, oh, come on. They're as old as you are. Just get on, you know. <laughs> but it's it's so funny how it is that pride thing of like, be tough. Just swing a leg over. Just get on. And it's like, oh, I'm smart enough now that I don't need to feel that pressure so much anymore and give into that pressure and do something that could put me in danger I'm like no I know what my horse knows how to handle and I know what I can and cannot predict on this particular section of road and I'm smart enough to know I'm not going to do that with this particular horse (laughs) so don't don't let people make you question yourself trust your instincts trust yourself trust that you know your horse and what they do and do not have the skills for and anyone else can just go take a hike. <laughs> well, as you're saying that too, I'm like, isn't it funny how the people who say like, oh, like you're not tough, get on that horse are always the people who are on the ground. <laughs> like they're right, never the like, people who me. are, exactly, they're, they're <laughs> you never get on. the people who are like, oh, I'll get on and show you how to do this is now, come on, get on that horse. It's like, you just want to watch somebody get hurt. You want to watch a rodeo, just go to the rodeo. You can pay for that. <laughs> It's just, it's funny. So it's like, don't ever get intimidated by somebody who's not at the level you're at, right? Because we so often, I mean, just in life in general, I was listening to a podcast about this earlier this morning, but it's like, it's never the people who are above you, like a level above you, who are putting you in danger, who are giving you a hard time for not, for not pushing yourself in in a certain way or for being where you're at or making the decisions you're making. It's always the people who are levels underneath you who are doing that and it always stems from their own insecurities and from their own agendas and it's never about you you know so like the people are like oh you're not tough at all I had oh so many times where specifically one of my grandpas just well you're not a real cowgirl are you because you won't get on this horse and and he would do this from a young age and he's the one that I actually ended up having that drug like getting drugged by his horses um and he got a new Arabian one time and he wanted me to ride him. And I'm like, mm, I took one look at that Arabian. And I mean, this horse was not calm. He was dancing circles around my grandpa. He would not stand to be saddled. He was like popping up and just being naughty. And I was like, no, I'm not getting on him. And so, you know, I get the guilt trip of, oh my gosh, well, you're not a real cowgirl. You don't really like horses, do you? Like all this guilt trip. But then guess what? 30 minutes later, when this horse reared with one of the other grandkids and bucked another grandkid off, and he's like, oh, man, you know, you know how to read horses a lot better than I do. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so it's just, you're like, yeah, there's a reason I didn't want to get on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, don't ever, don't ever let somebody who is belittling you talk you into it. Because there is a difference between coaching you through something and just belittling you and talking negatively to try to make your ego be the thing that gets you on. Cause if it's your ego that makes you get on, you're going to end up getting hurt 100% of the time because you did push past all of that instinct and you put your body in a situation where your body was telling you, no, nope, this isn't going to be safe. And you're like, well, I know it's not going to be safe. I'm going to get on anyways. Like that's just, okay. Well, you know, consequences. You're asking for it. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, just from a coaching perspective, something to really be aware of and like how you speak to the people who are coming to you. When I coach somebody, it is never from a place of like, well, are you tough enough? It's always like, how are you feeling? 
are you ready? Where's your body at? Okay. Yeah. Now, let me tell you about how we're going to make this as safe and as comfortable as possible. So I can support you through every step of the way. Yeah. That is a very different than get on, you, you sucker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, and that leads me into, I think, or probably our final point, and we'll wrap it up here, um, which is if your fear really is pretty bad, hire a coach. Go find a coach who specializes like Michaela does in building your confidence in a methodical step-by-step way with safe horses because I had to do the same thing when I really got to where I was just terrified of first rides. I mean, I would just shake and just be terrified. I'm like, I I can't get on. (laughs) And I had to have my husband coach me because he is insanely confident. He's very good. He's helped me cold start over the years. He knows how to handle unpredictability and cults in a very controlled, level-headed way. Um, And so I was able to have him coach me so that when I got in the moment, at that time, I was so scared. I could not coach myself. I was to like a (gasps) moment where if he wouldn't have been coaching me, there's no way I could have done it for myself. Um, and, and I did it in a way where I, he did the first few rides and then I would do like the second, third or fourth ride, depending on the horse, you know, on the really gentle ones, I do like the second ride on the, if your ones, he would do, Larry would do several rides before I would get on. So I didn't start with first rides. I started with a little bit more predictability of knowing, okay, Larry rode them before they've at least had a rider on, (laughs) but yeah, Larry would coach me through it and, and really just help me calm myself, put my body in the right positions, focus on my breathing, focus on my seat, um, read the horse's behavior. And okay, you know, the horse is acting like this. They're ready to do this. Let's ask them for a trot now, you know, and which in the past, I easily would have been able to do by myself. You know, I knew all the skills. I knew what to do, but having him coach me is what got me through it. There's no way I could have done it without a coach and, and a coach that was willing to just talk me through the baby steps like okay let's get the hands okay now let's get the feet now let's get your seat now let's get and just go through each thing instead of just being like just ride the damn horse you know like get on already you pansy that would not have been helpful if you would have done that um and so yeah just know know your limits and know when you need to get a coach because I tell you what that coach of having that outside person that calm voice that helps calm your inner panic (laughs) and bring you back to the moment to where you're like okay I'm safe like he knows what he's doing I can trust him and and through trusting him I was able to trust myself again um and and now I can coach myself through those situations but it's still every first ride to this day I have to coach myself through Um, but I had to start with smaller steps I had to start with having someone coach me so don't be too prideful to go hire a coach um it will if you if you want to stay in horses but you're just terrified i promise you it will be well worth the time and money and even maybe a little hit to your ego so <laughs> yeah no i 100% 100% get somebody to help you and one thing that i will say cuz i i don't know anyone else maybe you do but i don't know anyone else who had the business model i did as far as that's who I wanted to work with and that's who I'm specializing in. Um, But what I would suggest you do is go audit a lesson. 
contact the person and say, hey, I'm interested in working with you. Can I come watch a lesson? If they don't let you, that's weird to me, but just knock them off of your list. I was always 100% open to having somebody come audit a lesson. So go audit a lesson, make sure that their training style is what you want, because you're going to learn a lot about how they coach somebody if you, if you audit a lesson and, you know, audit multiple lessons too, maybe audit a day. Like I would, I let people hang out with me for a day when I had back-to-back multiple lessons because you need to you need to see how they handle the different clients the different situations the different horses and okay when when a situation comes up how how are they dealing with this person are they pushing this person past comfort and you do need to push somebody as a coach but there is a difference between pushing somebody for growth and pushing somebody just because as me as a coach I want to get you on this horse right so just watching different lessons and just really be mindful of that and and how this person is working with other people. Um, And that'll give you a good idea of whether or not they'll be a good fit before you just randomly join a program. Um, Because it is, it is really hard to find a good fit. I've, I've taken on multiple people where I was their, you know, sixth riding instructor, you know, they'd been through so many and um, the previous riding instructors had really broken the confidence of some of these kids and, you know, and I just, and it, it, it is hard. Like you never know, we never know 100% until you're in the program, but you can go audit. Like seriously, if they don't let you audit, I just say, okay, well, you're not going to be the place for me then. <laughs> and just, and go, go find somebody else because I like Camry, you would let somebody audit, right? Like, oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So that, that just might be something to kind of look for. Cause again, I don't, I'm the only one that I ever heard of in my area, like actually saying like, no, that is my business model. You know, like I I take people and I build confidence. Um, but that doesn't mean that other people don't do it too. It's just, yeah. Well, I think some people may have titled it or, um, a little bit more of like horsemanship lessons. Mm -hmm. So if there's, that's another, like, look for that term as well, instead of just writing lessons, because a lot of times if you get people that are just teaching writing lessons, they're just, they're not even teaching you how to saddle the horse or pick out their Mm -hmm. feet. They have the horses saddled. You just hop on and ride the horse for an hour. Um, So if you have someone that does horsemanship lessons, that tends to be a lot more all-inclusive, whether it's, you know, building your confidence, teaching you all of the things from grooming to saddling to everything clear all the way up. Um, So you have probably a better bet finding someone if you look for horsemanship lessons versus riding lessons. So, yeah, I like that distinction. And again, show up to their barn when they're teaching a lesson and look at the person as well. Cause you're going to tell a lot about a person and how they're coaching by what did they show up to work in? Are they, do they look professional? Do they handle themselves in a professional manner when you show up? Because somebody who's going to be professional is going to be a better coach, honestly. And that doesn't mean like they, you know, professional looks a little bit different, but I'm saying like, if you're showing up and your instructors in flip-flops, you know, that's, that's a pretty low professional standpoint in my eyes with, with an instructor. Um, but like for me, I'm, I was always ready to ride and I wore good walking shoes. Cause I walked about 20 miles a day when I was doing riding lessons. But again, like when somebody showed up to my property, 100%, you're signing a release, 100%, you're, you're 
getting a knowledge of, of every place that I'm at, you can look at where my business is at. If you ask me about insurance, it's like 100%. Here's, here's who I'm insured by. And I feel like that's really important because if you're going to get somebody who takes themselves seriously, they're going to take you seriously as well as a client. So just a couple of other things to look at there too, but yeah. All right, Camry. We could talk about this one forever. Seriously, this is like, <laughs> this is one of my passions for sure. So, yeah, you guys well, I think have- it is a little bit for both of us. You know, my business tagline is trust, confidence and synergy. And that trust and confidence is like pretty much the whole thing we're talking about today. Trust in yourself, trust in your coach, trusting your horse, building confidence with all those things. I'm like, yep, <laughs> we definitely uh, go along the same lines. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And feel free to reach out to us too, because I would be more than willing to hop on a quick Zoom call and do a little consultation with you if you needed to just talk through a situation. Obviously, I'm kind of remote, but <laughs> but more than and I offer. Through. Yeah. And I offer virtual lessons too. Mm-hmm. So if you want to send me a video of what you and your horse are doing and I can coach you and teach you some things, that's definitely an option because I know a lot of our listeners probably don't uh, reside anywhere near you or I are (laughs) (laughs) this is true (laughs) but yeah reach out to either of us we'd both be happy to help you in any way that we can from our remote locations so (laughs) um anyways till next week I guess yeah we'll talk to you guys next week thank you for listening to the horsewoman project If you have a story to tell, please email us at thehorsewomanproject at gmail.com. Links to both of our websites, social pages, and emails will be added to the show notes, as well as any links that are mentioned or contact information for our guests. Talk to you next week.